Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Good morning. It's very good to see you all. And uh, I've been looking forward to uh, share this particular text with you uh, this morning. Uh, it's a text that actually can uh, trigger different kind of responses. I hope you paid attention when it was read aloud. Did you? Uh, so what kind of response did you have? Um, I know that for years I actually had uh, kind of fearful responses hearing this text and reading it. One was the fear of failure. And if you, like me, uh, struggle with that fear, you would, you would hearing something like this would be like, Oh no, this is definitely not for me. And me being an introvert, I would say, that's not who I am doing things like Jesus is talking about there. Uh, that's definitely not my type. And even if you are an extrovert, you might say that, well, I am one of the clumsy extroverts. I always say the wrong thing at the wrong time, uh, at the wrong place. So I get it wrong all the time. Uh, or for those of us who struggle with fear of rejection, we, we would have spent a lot of our energy avoiding putting ourselves in situations where there is a potential for rejection. We love to fly under the radar and let other people take the risks. And here, Jesus is asking us to do the very opposite. And then, of course, there's the fear of discomfort. And um, I'm not afraid to admit that I like to be comfortable. My dream scenario is not a scenario where I am running really fast or swimming in a powerful way or climbing a high mountain. No, my dream scenario is standing on a beach in the afterglow of a lovely sunny day looking at the quiet ocean with a pale ale in my hand, of course. That's, that's kind of my dream scenario. Now, and these are just my fears, and you may be able to add more to them, but it seems like this passage has a potential to trigger them all. However, when we start to journey with the words of Jesus here, we begin to see something else. I had a peculiar period of my life where I was journeying with this text for about four years, and that journey changed my relationship to these words of Jesus in a quite dramatic way. So my title for the talk today may be a bit of a peculiar one, but my title is as you are. And the reason for this title is that when I used to read this text, I felt like it was asking me to be all the things that I was not. But journeying with it, I found out that it was quite the opposite. It asked me to be as I am, wherever I was. So this talk today is uh, partly a part of the answer to the big question we are uh, asking in this season, how do we live as followers of Jesus Christ in a broken world? And if you haven't heard the other talks, I would strongly encourage you to hear the podcast. They all complement one another, and they are all important things for us to share as a community in this time. We believe, really, that this is what God is talking to us about, and there is a strong calling to us as a community. Now, what was the context that we find ourselves in in these words? 
Well, the context was that Jesus had been doing all of these things that he was now asking these people to do. He had been going out. He had been healing the sick. He had been casting out demons. And he had been talking about the love of God. And the people now standing around him, they were the result of this. When they encountered Jesus for the first time, probably quite many of them would have been quite miserable. People who were stuck in life in different ways, some stuck in sickness, some stuck in their social position, some stuck in their wrongful image of God, and so on and so forth, struck in life. And they would have been sick and tired of it, of it all. And then it, this Jesus turns up, and he turns the whole thing upside down. And instead of overwhelming life fatigue, they are now feeling overwhelming joy. So it's a joyful company that Jesus is talking to. They had found not only a friend in Jesus, but they had also found a community of believers, a whole new family. And now Jesus asks them to leave him, sort of, and to do the very same thing that he had been doing. In a way, you could say that these people were about to engage with a transformational process where they were turning from being supporters of Jesus Christ to becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Now, this context is crucial for us to understand because if we jump straight into this text and we put it on us as some kind of Christian duty, we will get it all wrong. We need to understand why these people who were just like you and I with the same kind of fears and reservations, why they were crazy enough to do what Jesus asked them to do. And to understand that, we need to understand why Jesus did this. Was this for him just to do the job of being the Messiah? Was this a kind of tick-the-box exercise? No, probably it wasn't. What Jesus is displaying here seems to be in the very nature of God. We read about this in the Bible that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed in a perfect communion, in a perfect trinity. But they didn't suffice themselves with their own community. They created us, you and I. So they went out of themselves to share the life that they had with others, with us. And the Bible speaks about that we are formed in His in his image, which means that this very nature of God is in the very fabric of us. We are designed to go out of ourselves to be there for others. We even hear this in the very word to exist. It comes from two different words, ex meaning out, and sisted, which means to stand firm. So this word in itself points to a very possible and potent truth that we, in order to stand firm in who we really are, need to go out of ourselves. Reflecting on this word, uh, Wilfred Stinnison, a, a Belgian Carmelite monk, said it like this. He said, our existence is always an existence for others. In other words, what he's saying is that if we don't exist for others, we don't really exist or we don't really live as we are supposed to. So if this is a true meaning of 
what it means for us to exist. This is not only a Christian thing that we are talking about. This is about how we flourish, how we live as human beings. So this text is not to be read as some kind of strategy to reach a target. It's not Jesus kind of luring his disciples into a friendship in order to make them instruments to achieve a divine goal. This is not primarily a model to do evangelism. Honestly, that was how I read this text for years. Well, what is it then? Well, in its essence, it's, a, it's like the rest of the New Testament texts. It speaks about life itself, what it means to have life and what it means to live accordingly to the life that we have been giving, given a flourishing life. So we are not losing ourselves when we obey this command of Jesus. Rather, we are finding ourselves. It's not an enemy who is sending us out, someone who wants to rob us of a good and comfortable life. Rather, it's a friend who wants the best for us. And that makes all the difference. So don't go before you know that it's a friend who is sending you. And you might ask, why not? Why not just do it anyways? Well, if we go without knowing that it is a friend who is sending us, we don't really have anything to share at all. Because what we are sharing more than anything is the community, the friendship, the relationship that we have with Jesus. I believe this is why Jesus starts this thing by saying, you need to talk to God about this. You need to pray to the Lord of the har harvest. Now, what happens when we talk to God about these things? Well, what happens is what you would experience when you talk to a good friend about the things that are on the heart of this good friend. I had a visit uh, a couple of weeks ago of one of my best friends from Denmark, and Um, he is working for a charity called Open Doors that is trying to help Christians who are persecuted in different parts of the world. And we were going for a long walk, and he was sharing kind of his heart and talking about this issue. And to be honest, uh, before this conversation, this was quite far away uh, on my radar. I didn't really think much about that. But during that conversation, my heart was touched by his heart And some of the urgency he felt, I suddenly felt some of his urgency. And we know from other parts of the Bible that this is on the heart of God. The Bible says that he wants every human being to come to faith. This is really what he wants. It's kind of obvious in the whole way of presenting God as the perfectly loving father. He wants the best for his children. He wants community. He wants them to find faith. And he wants them to find freedom. And we even hear this in the words that Jesus is using here, quite peculiar words. Because he's saying to these disciples, don't greet anyone on the way. Now that's kind of rude, isn't it? But this is still what he's saying. What does he mean by that? Well, he probably means don't get distracted. Don't let anything come in your way because this is urgent. This is really important. It's a matter of urgency. And urgency is defined as something that needs immediate attention or immediate action. 
If you kind of want to have a picture of this, this is a very vivid picture from my own life, being a father of three children, when, the, when they were small, and if I lost sight of them in some kind of public place, I felt the feeling of urgency. In those moments, nothing else mattered. I was happy to push people to the side. I was practically capable of doing anything until the point that I got hold of my children again. And every parent in the room know what that is like. And I guess we can all imagine how that's like. Finding out that they are missing, you don't sit down to have a cup of coffee. You don't. All you can focus on is a need to get hold of this child. And this is the kind of urgency that is coming out of this text. It's the urgency of Jesus Christ, and it's the urgency of the Father. So we need to talk to the Father about this, getting to know the heart of the Father. I have noticed from personal experience that this is one of the prayers that seems to really set things in motion in a very practical way. Now, in the spring, there was a talk by Tim Frisbee, one of our service leaders uh, from Stockville, uh, and he had a wonderful talk about how to reach out to our community. And Meta and I, hearing this talk, we were like, oh, we need to do more of that. So we caught his heart, and, and we said, we really want to reach out to our neighbors. So uh, we started to talk about that, and one morning I decided, now I want to pray for our next-door neighbor. And I found it quite difficult, actually, here in London, to be honest, because I found out that you can live in a block for years not meeting some of your neighbors. And I had only met this, our next-door neighbor, once in, in a period of three months, very briefly. So I was praying one morning and saying, God, I really want you to bless our neighbor and want an opportunity for, for us somehow to connect to her and uh, so we can become part of each other's lives and if we somehow can become a blessing to her. A prayer like that. So I was talking to God about this. Then I went about to do the business of the day, uh, and when I came back in the evening, who did I meet at the gate to our estate? Our neighbor, our next-door neighbor. She was just a few yards ahead of me. And then I did what every normal human being would do in the same situation. I froze. <laughs> All my fears surfaced. And suddenly I didn't know what a normal thing would be to say in a situation like that. So I pretended to be very preoccupied and in a hurry and just paced, you know, past her. And in the moment I came up to our flat and closed the door, I was like, oh no. That was what I had been praying about this morning and I just missed it. Now, that's a bad story, right? <laughs> well, uh, Friday, just two days ago, uh, be, I guess because of this talk, I, I felt inspired to pray again. So I prayed for our next door neighbor. And I hadn't met her since that unfortunate incident. Um, so, so, uh, so, I, so I prayed again. Then I decided to go for a walk. And who did I meet at the gate? Our next door neighbor. However, this time, she tried to look very busy and preoccupied and looked in the other <laughs> direction and hurried past me. I know it's really a bad story. So I called Meta and, and my wife and, and talked to her about it. And she was very graceful. She said, obviously, you need help with this. And <laughs> I, I, I kind of agree. Um, but this, but I, when I thought about this, reflected on it, I realized that whenever I had prayed these kind of prayers in the story of my life, something seemed to be happening. Something sets in motion when we start to talk to God about people. 
We are being touched with the heart of God, and we are engaging in friendship with God. More than anything, it was the friendship with Jesus that made these disciples go. They went because Jesus told them so, and they trusted him. And they went because he would be going to the same places, and they desperately wanted to be with him. And they went because Jesus activated in them the very fabric of who they really were as human beings. And they went because the nature of this relationship, this friendship with Jesus, is that it's something that must be shared. Not only it can be shared, it must be shared. One of Jesus' disciples, John, he puts it like this. He said, from the very first day we were there, taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, saw it with our own eyes, verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we are telling you in the most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this, the infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it. We heard it. And now we are telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. Aren't these words amazing? These are remarkable words. And this is from a first-hand witness to these things. They don't speak of a Christian duty, do they? They don't speak of some kind of imperialistic strategy to reach out, you know, to wherever. They speak about life experienced, life enjoyed, and then life shared for the joy to be double joy. They speak about this inherent positive drive that this life of Jesus Christ, this friendship with Him, it must be shared. So we come from a friend, not a dissatisfied, demanding boss who's constantly guilt-tripping us. That's not who we are coming from. We are coming from a friend. And this is perhaps the most important lesson for us to take away today. Don't go before you realize that it is a friend who is sending you. But there are other important lessons as well, a couple more. We're not only sent by a friend, we're also walking with a friend or with friends. Jesus didn't send them out as Marvel action heroes, but he sent them out in teams. Now, I want to show you a picture of a very distant relative of mine. Comes up here. I'm not very proud of him. Uh, this is me uh, exactly 14 years ago. Uh, a very burned out dad to three children. <laughs> and um, two stones heavier, very heavy stones heavier than I am today. As you may spot from, from my face. You can take the picture away now. Uh, <laughs> So, so this, this was something I realized, and it shouldn't have come as a surprise, but I was surprised at finding out the state that I was in. Those pounds had simply just kind of crept in on me. Meta kept telling me that I looked like a statue, and it, it didn't dawn upon me that you have all kinds of statues. So I just thought <laughs> that would be something very, very nice. So, so anyways, when I found out, knowing myself, I knew that I needed to do something drastic. So I decided to run a marathon uh, within five months. Uh, I, I don't encourage anyone else to make the same decision just to say. But that was what I needed to do to kind of do something with this. 
Uh, and for that to happen, I, I had to make all kinds of choices. But the most important of those choices was the choice of doing this with a friend. If I hadn't done it with that friend of mine, it would never have happened. I could have skipped some of the other decisions that I made, but that one turned out to me the most crucial of them all. And what Jesus talks about here isn't a sprint. It's more like a marathon. And I know for some of us, just hearing this text feels like a marathon. It's a new way of living our lives, and we need to do it together. This is why we talk about connect groups. Because it's a place where we are intentional about friendships. We are intentional about who we are and why we are here, not only as, a, as individuals, but also as a community of followers of Jesus Christ. We go out of ourselves for others to share the life that we have in the community with one another. And I know that some of us have really crazy schedules. And our weeks may look very unreliable. This is London. I'm very much aware of that. But however your schedule is, I would encourage you to be connected to a group, even though you may only be able to attend not very much. So we are sent by a friend. And we need to walk with friends. And finally, we are going to a friend. Jesus is not sending us to enemies. We will bump into them for sure. But they are not the ones that he's sending us to. When we do encounter people who are not ready to hear our testimony, what Jesus is saying here simply is to move on. Which means that we allow the people the right not to be ready or willing to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Rightfully, we get affected when that happens. I know I do. And some of us have big disappointments on this account. And, and when that happens, some of us, at least I know, I know I experience it like this, get the temptation to give it up because it's too painful to experience people that we care about turning their back to the good news about Jesus. However, Jesus is quite clear here. He's even quite firm. He says, when that happens, wipe the dust off your feet and move on. And maybe that is what some of us need to hear today. What is Jesus really saying here? Well, he's actually saying, shake it off. We need to move on. He's sending us to people of peace. The Latin word for peace is pax, which comes from Pangaea, which means to put together. And this corresponds with the Greek word for peace, Irene, which means to be whole. So who are they, these people of peace? Well, they are friends of peace, which means that they know that something is, is missing. They know that something is lost. They know that there is something that they can't really fix themselves. And they are open and they are ready to hear. Just like a friend of mine, Stephen. This guy here. I met him for the first time seven years ago uh, at the entrance of a cafe in Copenhagen. And when I met Stephen, I was um, on my journey with this passage of scripture that we, have, that we are focused on today. So I had been talking to God about people quite a bit. So I was so ready. I was so eager for coming on a journey with someone who would journey towards faith. I was simply longing for that. We saw a lot of that happening in the church that I was pastoring in Copenhagen through the Alpha courses and Steps courses. But I had this longing to, to, to walk with someone 
before the Alpha course or before the Steps course, to be there before this discovery of faith really started to take place. So I've been praying about this. So I was really ready when I met Stephen at this door. Stephen, he had just arrived in Copenhagen. Uh, he was not a Christian. He had had a very miserable life up till this point. Uh, so miserable that he had even tried to end his own life. So he knew that he needed help. He knew that he couldn't really find the way of fulfilling life by himself. He was ready for something, but he really didn't know what it was. He was a friend of peace, but he didn't know how to find peace. Well, I was probably too ready and too eager. So when I met him, I immediately invited him home for a cup of coffee. And he physically just backed off and he said, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for that, he said. <laughs> and then I kind of backed off and I said, oh, well, I understand. Why don't we meet in a more public place for a cup of coffee? And, uh, and fortunately, he cautiously said yes to, to that invitation. So that became the beginning of a journey. So every week we would meet up for a long conversation where we talked, we shared, we talked, we shared, we talked. This went on for more than a year. Uh, and very soon it took place in our living room, in our home. And at the end of those conversations, I would cautiously ask Stephen if it was okay for him that I just prayed a prayer of blessing over his life. And every time I prayed this prayer, it was as if it wasn't only Stephen and me being present in this room. There was almost a tangible experience of the presence of what I believe was the Holy Spirit in the room. And Stephen, he was just sitting there, not understanding much of it, but taking it in. We see it in this text that Jesus is sending us to the living rooms. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he is sending us to places where pretense is hard to keep up. What are the walls that know the most about you and I? It's not a nice question, isn't it? Well, I guess it would be the walls of our living rooms, or for some of us, just our room, right? If walls could talk. Wherever the location is, Jesus calls us to be at the places where the formal conversations come to an end. The place where we encounter life as it really is. And that's faithful presence. Not only to be faithfully located, but to be faithfully present as, we, as who we really are, wherever we are. To dare to sit with people in the unspeakable where words are no longer of any good. To dare to sit with people when we don't have the solutions or we don't have the answers. To, bear, to dare to be there where we are no longer in control. That's faithful presence. And we have become friends with Jesus. And it's this friendship, his presence in us that we carry with us to the lives and the living rooms of other people. We don't primarily come with an answer to a, or an explanation or a recipe. We come with ourselves as we are as broken people in the process of being healed in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how he is sending us, and that is how we are coming. 
That was what I learned from this text in that period of my life. So Stephen wasn't a project of mine. He wasn't an object. He wasn't a target. I had no idea whether he would come to faith or not. Fortunately, compared to the other story I told, this is a good one in, in, in the sense that it ends well. Eventually, he did accept an invitation to Alpha and to Steps. He did find freedom. He did find faith. And he actually experienced a calling to serve God in a full-time capacity. He got married to his girlfriend, Sina. I traveled back to Denmark and performed the wedding three years ago. They now have a little son, Joshua. He has just completed a, 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 his master's degree in social science and has been put on staff as the leader of the Teen Challenge Center in Copenhagen, reaching out to prosti prostitutes and drug addicts. And by the way, his family saw the transformation of his life. So both of his parents have come to faith, and two out of three of his siblings have come to faith as well. So now uh, they are now journeying the journey with him. Now that is a good story, isn't it? I love that story. It's one of the treasures of my life. My part of this story with Stephen, it started with a conversation with God about people. That's how it started. Now the question is, who, question is, who is our Stephen? Who's my Stephen today? Who's your Stephen? Maybe he or she is already there somehow present in our lives. Perhaps it's a distant family member, or it could be someone at school, or someone in your block that you actually happen to meet, or someone at your workplace. And how do we find the Stevens of this world, the friends of peace? Well, I believe that we find them by being who we are, where we are in a very intentional way. By being open about our brokenness and need for help. You know, as long as we speak the most spoken language in this world, which isn't Chinese or English, not Danish either, the most spoken language in this world is the language of pretense. Have you discovered that? It's the language of disguise. And as long as we speak that language, no one will recognize us and we won't recognize them. But as we dare to come out in the open, strengthened by our relationship with Jesus, the friends of peace will come out as well. In his absolutely wonderful book, Scattered Servants, Alan Scott, a vineyard pastor from Ireland, puts it like this. He said, you can't sell something that's broken. But as believers, we have nothing to sell and everything to share. And you can't share something until it's broken. People around us need our brokenness as much as our wholeness. Your brokenness, our brokenness, is a strength in this regard. Our brokenness is our awareness that we are so poor without Jesus Christ that we are constantly looking to be filled up with the friendship of Him. That's our strength. Jesus didn't send us out as superheroes. He sent out Peter, the denier. He sent out John and James, who were so hot-tempered that they wanted people to be killed who didn't receive the gospel. He sent Thomas, who was the doubter. He really took his time to get the point of faith in spite of so much evidence around him. 
He sent Nathaniel, the cynic, and he sent people that we don't know anything about, probably because they were so ordinary. And he's sending you and I in this time to this city. Can I have the band come up, please? Now, the final question today is the question, will we go? Will we listen to these words of Jesus? And will we reply to them? Will we follow these words? As I was praying for this day today and for this service, there was this sense that there are two movements that the Holy Spirit will lead us into this morning. One movement was the movement of those of us who have an image of God as a dissatisfied boss. And if you're unsure whether you have that image or not, there is a very simple test. If hearing a text like the one we heard in the beginning, the one that I have been speaking on, triggers a bad conscience in you, a sense of, I'm not doing that very well, I'm not good enough at that, well, there is a good chance that your image of God is the image of a, a very dissatisfied boss. And if that is the case, there is an invitation from God today to take a journey where you journey from that image to a new image where you see him, start to see him as your friend. As I was sharing that this morning at the Stockwell service, uh, I saw an image and I'm reminded of it again now. And it's the image of a person standing like this. Uh, not to receive a, a gift from heaven uh, at this point, but uh, I saw kind of a big burden being carried by these two hands. And the burden was bigger than the person. And, and what I saw as I shared this was that this is the burden of these people having a wrong image of God. It feels like that. So if that is you, then you know exactly what that is. It feels very heavy. And you have been wondering, what is this about? And it is as if the Holy Spirit is revealing it to you today, that you're carrying the wrong image of God. And He wants to help you today to let go. So I saw the hands just do this, and then the burden just fell to the ground. So it is my very simple trust in God that some of us will experience that today. And, and you would say, well, I've been carrying this for years. This go way back. This has deep roots. It can't be that simple. Well, I have good news for you. It can't be that simple. God is big enough. He's good enough. He's strong enough to do that miracle in your life. So that was the one movement. The other movement that I saw that some of us will be invited to do this morning is the movement from being a supporter of Jesus Christ to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's great with supporters, isn't it? They're sitting on the benches, clap, clapping their hands. Jesus, you're doing a great job down there. Well done. More healings. Great, Jesus. We cheer you on. Now, if you are a supporter of Jesus Christ, that's a very good thing. But he's inviting you to become something more than that. He's inviting you to come down on the playing field and to play with him. That was what he was doing here in this text. And I believe that that's 
really the calling we feel so strongly on us as a community in this time, as a church. We want to be more than supporters of Jesus Christ. We want to be true, real followers of Him. Let's stand.